0: So, justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets, honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Sabbath. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. To descend on us, illuminating our minds and changing our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Friday, June 29th, 2007. Does anyone know what happened on that day? No? My clothes maybe, give it away, maybe if I, there we go. Apple released the first generation iPhone. The iPhone 1 completely revolutionized the way we interact with our phones, with each other, and with the world. Unlike other smartphones with their cumbersome keyboards at the time, the iPhone 1 had only one simple button. No styluses for Steve Jobs. Rest in peace, he's probably turning in his grave because Apple recently had an Apple Pen that was introduced, and if you know anything about Steve Jobs, he hated the pens. But Apple um, did not have that in the beginning. In fact, they utilized a state-of-the-art multi-touch screen that put it leagues ahead of the competition. The iPhone 1, it ran on the powerful iOS 1 operating system with the quick and speedy 2G network and it came in spacious 4 gig and 8 gig models. iPhone 1 sold out in many stores in less than one hour after it was announced. Thousands of people lined the streets all over the world to be among the first to own the phone that reinvented phones. An entire cottage industry of mobile applications or apps flourished as a result of the first iPhone. So I have another question. By a show of hands, who here is still using the iPhone 1? No one? With all those great features? It's not an ordinary phone, ladies and gentlemen. Well, truth is, I'm not sure that the first generation iPhone would even work if it was around today, but even if it did, it'd be incredibly slow and impossibly frustrating. Instead of enhancing your life, the iPhone 1 would burden it with endless malfunctions. It would be really difficult to use. And that's the exact opposite reason it was created. It was to be uh, enhancing your life, making it simpler. So why is that after all this time? What accounts for that 180-degree shift? from something that provided such ease for your life to something that would be cumbersome and burdensome. Well, the reason is that over a dozen upgrades to the iPhone have come since 2007, in addition to several upgrades of cellular communication systems. We're up to 4G here in, in the U.S. China's up to 5G now. Once was, what was once the defining technological device of its day is now a dusty relic of the past no matter how nice the first generation iphone was steve jobs he didn't design it to just stay the same he meant it to be improved year after year and because of that it'd be foolish to expect the first generation iphone to be as useful in 2019 as it was in 2007 you know in the bible the Israelites of the Old Testament were like the first-generation iPhone. Follow me. God designed their lives to be a shining reflection of his character. He created them to revolutionize what it meant to be a human being in a sinful world. It went well at first, and then, well, we started in Isaiah, but let's go back a few thousand years to Genesis chapter 12. God calls... Abraham, he was known as Abram at the time, to follow him, and he prophesied that he would be the father of a great nation and that his descendants would inhabit a rich and bountiful territory, the promised land. In Genesis 12, 1-3, he said, go from your country. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you." This is pretty extraordinary because Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children at the time. And so this proclamation from God was a major announcement. And in fact, it's akin to the announcement of the first iPhone. You know, Steve Jobs, he made that initial announcement in January 2007, several months before it was actually available to the public. And so it is with God. The declaration always precedes the manifestation. But back to the Bible. 700 years after Abraham was called by God and answered the call, Moses now leads the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites finally cross over when God calls Joshua to lead the Israelites into Canaan. Well, the problem is Canaan is already well populated. So during the next few years, God leads Joshua and the Israelites on a military campaign to secure the land and divide it among the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, actually nine and a half, but that's another sermon entirely. You know, eventually, the Israelites are at peace, and God's promises are fulfilled. In fact, if we read in Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45, this is the confirmation of it. This is the manifestation. He gave Israel all the land he had sworn. They took possession of it. They settled there. He gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed, and everyone was fulfilled. Everything that he told Abraham came to pass. So the Israelites inhabiting the promised land was like the release of the first iPhone. Just as Steve Jobs and his team, they went through many iterations of design before finally releasing their creation, so God went through many generations of prototype peoples before finally declaring the Israelites ready for his use. So Joshua, he grows old, but before he dies, He gathers the Israelites together, and he implores them to continue serving the true God, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And as long as Joshua and his generation was alive, they did that. Like the first-generation iPhone, the first Israelites in Canaan had the best features of any nation of people on the planet. They had the omniscient, omnipotent creator of all things— on their side, protecting them. They owned vast amounts of property. They had fruitful crops, plentiful vineyards. They had strong, healthy men, women, and children. They had fertile livestock and other animals. They had the opportunity to redefine humanity through obedience to God. But instead of continuing to transform the world, the Israelites conformed to it. In just the next book of the Bible, Judges, chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, it says, After that whole generation of Joshua had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, the idols. See, the people were content with that first-generation promised land version of Israel. They were stuck where they were. And they refused to stay close to God and receive the upgrades he was offering. So like that first generation iPhone running on iOS 1 in 2019, the Israelites became obsolete and dysfunctional for the purpose which they were created. But that was then, right? So let me bring this into today's terms to help us determine whether we're more of a first generation iPhone or a current generation. So imagine letting one day go by without spending any quality time with God. Let's say tomorrow, Sunday, you wake up, no prayer, no Bible study, nothing spiritual of any kind. Some of us may feel incomplete when we neglect time with God for even just one day, but for some of us, it may not bother us much at all. Now imagine one week without quality time with God By the time that um, Sabbath rolls around next week, more of us may notice the difference, living actively without involving him. Some of us still may not be affected as much. Now imagine one month, no time with God at all. Some of us now will really start feeling that we're living life at a deficit. But we could also start getting used to life at this point, particularly if things are going well. Imagine one year goes by without ever communicating meaningfully with God. Two years, three, eight, 12. Provided that nothing particularly tragic happens, we may not see any reason at that point to engage with God beyond a superficial level, right? You go to church, you stand, you sing the songs, you sit, you listen to the sermon, you go downstairs, you eat, and you go home, you take a nap, and then you repeat next week. Now, think about your human relationships. In fact, imagine you commit to that special someone, but once you make the commitment, you only see them once a week. And during the week, you don't engage with them at all. How long would that relationship last? How would that work out for you? Look, we've all fallen short in our time with God. I'm not here to shame anyone at all. In fact, the Bible shows us that God can use anyone to accomplish his will, from madmen to murderers. But if we laugh at the idea of using an iPhone 1 in an iPhone X world, why would we think that we could neglect a relationship with Christ and remain as useful to him as we were when we first embraced him and were in daily communion with him, days, weeks, months, or even years ago? Yet, this is exactly what the Israelites were expecting after generations of rote and passionless religious practices. In fact, throughout the next several hundred years after Joshua, through the judges of Israel, and then on through the kings of Israel, God's chosen people tried to live with the original operating system when God was calling them up to the spiritual equivalent of iOS 12. God even sent his own genius bar employees, the prophets, to warn Israelites that they needed to come to him for an upgrade they were not meant to rest on the status of God's chosen and blessed people, but they were to grow by becoming a blessing to those around them. In fact, their stubborn resistance to the upgrade through the Word of God led to all sorts of malware and viruses infiltrating and infecting the nation. Like the iPhone 1 would be in 2019, the Israelites during Isaiah's time looked nice on the outside, but were mostly ineffective as a people. In fact. They were an embarrassment to God. And the result was that instead of being a blessing, they were a burden to many. Oh, sure, they still fasted and they still kept the law, they still had the first generation features. But becoming increasingly disconnected from a relationship with him, those practices meant nothing. You notice how <clears throat> the newest iPhones, they don't eliminate the functions of the previous versions. You see. The new version, you can still make calls. You can still go on the internet. You can still send text messages. You can still listen to music. Those are all in the the original version. But the idea is that the new version enhances the features of the old one. It brings more to it. In the same way, God didn't want to do away, nor did he ever want to do away with his law. But through Christ, he wants us to grow and experience his law in the context of that relationship not as an impersonal checklist of do's and don'ts. So that brings us to today's passage in Isaiah 59. Metaphorically speaking, the Israelites wanted iPhone X functionality with an iPhone 1 phone, and God made it clear that this was not possible. Their hardware may have looked capable, but their software was dysfunctional. Translation, though the people of Israel appeared prosperous, On the outside, their distance from God manifested itself in their abhorrent behavior. They were mistreating the poor, mistreating widows, mistreating foreigners, refusing to feed the hungry. They killed innocent people. They fostered injustice. They spread fake news. They lied. They cheated. They stole with no remorse. And yet, they had the audacity to be concerned about the Babylonian captivity Of their people and were crying out to God to save them. So we pick up the story in Isaiah 59 verse 1 as the word of the Lord comes through the prophet Isaiah. He said, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. If you had an iPhone 1 right now, 2019, and you try to download the film, let's say, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you probably wouldn't be successful because not because of a problem with the network, but because the phone lacks the technological capacity to effectively receive all that data. It falls short of the latest standards and requirements. Isaiah here, in these first few verses of 59, he starts this chapter, he's telling the Israelites that God is fully capable of rescuing them from their Babylonian captors. His power is not the problem. The problem was that the Israelites were falling short of God's standards and requirements. And this led to widespread injustice, which was, again, the opposite reason that God had created them for. So before God can answer their prayers, he had to be allowed access to their hearts, which had deteriorated from a lack of daily renewal in him. This reminds me a little bit of the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35, You know it, a servant of the king. He owed a massive debt, and he begged the king for mercy. Mercy was granted, but then that man found a fellow servant who owed a minor debt. He couldn't pay it, and the forgiven servant threw his fellow servant into prison. The king angrily summoned that forgiven servant. He called him wicked, and he asked him the question, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? just as I had on you, then the king threw the wicked servant into jail. Jesus shows us here that unless we become more like him, we will take his mercy and grace for granted. When we take his mercy and grace for granted, we feel entitled to it. We fail to replicate his behavior. And when we feel entitled to it, when we stay where we are, we blame, we shame, we judge others for the same sins we committed instead of showing them the love of Christ that has been shown to us. And we judge others, but then look, now God, who finds that behavior acceptable, unacceptable, will judge that accordingly as well. And this is what happened with the Israelites. They were complacent due to a comfort in their calling as God's chosen people. I'll say that again, the Israelites were complacent due to a comfort in their calling as God's chosen people. This complacency was due in part to the cost of a spiritual upgrade. The irony is that by not upgrading, it cost them even more. Let's say I resisted upgrading my iPhone one due to the price of it, of the next generation and so on. If I consistently resisted the upgrade until now, I would not only end up spending a significant amount for the latest phone, but I would have missed out on all the expanded features and newest applications because of the first-generation iPhone's shortcomings, as all the years went by. Spiritually, the principle is the same. We may be comfortable with our salvation and refuse to grow in Christ because of the cost, but residing in that comfort will ultimately cost us even more by missing out on God's best for us, Make no mistake, Jesus says that there is a price for us to pay, not for sin. He paid that price, and we couldn't afford it anyway. But there is a price for progress, for living more and more like him. He lays this out pretty explicitly in Matthew 16, 24. The Amplified Version says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he or she must deny him or herself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his or her cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. That's, that's a cost of our lives, potentially. And Jesus is putting this all out in the beginning, that if you want to live like him, this is the cost. Now, thank God we don't have to achieve righteousness to be saved. We only have to believe in the righteous one, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness redeems us from our sins. However, once we're saved, God's plan is that over time, he would transform us into righteous people But as I said, that process and that progress is costly. And herein, we see the concepts of justification and sanctification, two highly theological terms that hopefully you can just break down simply. We're justified. That's we're declared right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It happens in a moment you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. But as our journey um, continues as followers of Christ, it's not meant to stay there. Just even the term follower suggests movement, not stagnation. And so sanctification is that process of becoming more and more like Christ over time through the power of the Holy Spirit to whom we submit daily. Justification and sanctification can be seen in the New Testament writings of the Apostle John. And the location of the passages, they're easy to remember, at least they were for me, because they're the same chapter and verse numbers of two of his books. There's John 3:16 to 18, and there's 1 John 3:16 to 18. So John 3:16 to 18 covers justification. Now, First John 3, 16 through 18 covers sanctification. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Once we believe, our lives should re- reflect Christ more and more by the active love that we show one another. Perhaps the first day that you accept Christ, you're not yet ready to lay down your life for your brother or your sister. But that, over time, is what God hopes for each one of us, that we are more and more like him. But the problem is, if we look around society today, we may see fewer displays of that love And more of the very things God chastised the Israelites for, in Isaiah, mistreatment of immigrants, injustices committed toward marginalized peoples, wealth inequality propped up by corrupt government business alliances, and so on. These things may affect some of us directly, but if we're honest, many of us can continue living our lives blessed and highly favored without really engaging in these issues. But as God says through Isaiah, and in First John as well, if we're not actively being part of the solution our inaction is part of the problem. We may have resisted the upgrade but when that happens over a length of time well, we read about it before, justice is driven back, righteousness stands at a distance truth stumbles in the streets, honesty can't enter truth is nowhere to be found, whoever shuns evil becomes a prey The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. God was appalled. It's a strong word. But he was appalled because he meant for the Israelites to play a role in healing the suffering of the world. He means for us to play a role in healing the suffering of the world. So what happens? We find ourselves in the same position as the Israelites were at the time of Isaiah, complacent and complicit, resisting the upgrade, what can we do? Well, may I suggest that we first move from your and they to we and our. Isaiah 59 verses one through eight has the language of your and they. Let's look at it. But your iniquities have separated you from your God Your sins have hidden his face from you, for your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They pursue evil schemes. But something shifts in just the very next verse from 9 to 13. This is Isaiah still continuing, but now he says, we look for light, but all is darkness. We walk in deep shadows. We stumble we are like the dead. Our offenses are many in your sight. Our sins testify against us, turning our backs on our God, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. And so, what's the result of all the sin and neglect? We've read it several times. Justice is driven back, righteousness stands at a distance. But here we see finally there's a recognition of cause, Israelites' behavior, the we on our, and the effect. The absence of justice. And this is key. Because spiritual upgrading always begins with acknowledgement of the need for it. As long as the problem is your or they, we can justify remaining stagnant just as the Israelites did. You know, if I took my iPhone 1 to the Apple Store today and complained that your iOS 1 isn't working well it's not working as it once did, or they are now moving to 4G, when I was happy with my 2G, they're probably going to send me away. (laughs) There's not much they can do until I recognize the need for my phone to be upgraded. Likewise, if we make your or they statements with God, it gets us nowhere. Consider Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they ate the forbidden fruit and God questioned them about it. Adam says in Genesis 3.12, the woman you put me here with, Eve says, the serpent, or they, deceived me. It gets us nowhere. But once the humble shift to we and our happens, God is eager to intervene. And if we continue with Isaiah, we'll see that now that they've said we and our. It continues. He saw that there was no one, he was appalled, there was no one to intervene, so his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance, and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so, he will, uh, so will he repay wrath to his enemies, and retribution to his foes. <clears throat> he will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. God himself comes to redeem, to restore, to upgrade those who repent of their sins, the we and the our. It's reminiscent of what God had previously told the Israelites in 1 Chronicles 7.14, another verse that may be familiar with you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This is another important point, is that spiritual upgrading is always preceded by submission to God and it's always followed by strength in God. Unless you surrender and disable your old iPhone, you cannot upgrade to a new one. Unless you agree to the terms of the new operating system, you cannot upgrade your old software. So we continue with Isaiah. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I've put in your mouth will always be on your lips. On the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants, from this time on and forever, says the Lord, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. My spirit, says the Lord, my words. When we submit to God daily, we experience the upgrade through the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to think, speak, and act more like Christ. God details this upgrade a little bit more in Jeremiah 31, and 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's no longer just a set of rules that are set out before you on your Bible or on your phone, but God is saying the upgrade is now I'm implanting the desire to serve me in your heart, in your mind, with your actions. How is this possible, right? I'm such a sinful person. No one's gonna mistake me for being like Jesus. So how can I have this upgrade? Well, the good news is that the upgrade is not dependent on my power, on your power. But spiritual upgrading, it's possible only because Jesus Christ experienced the greatest upgrade ever known. Don't misunderstand me, Jesus was is and always will be perfect. He needed no improvement to his nature or his character. He is completely self-sufficient. But by downgrading himself from a divine being in heaven to our level as a human being on earth and suffering a humiliating death on the cross so that we could have eternal life with him, he was given the ultimate power and authority to upgrade any and all who ask him. Listen to his words to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. This upgrade is further detailed in Hebrews chapter 2. Starting at verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were being held in slavery by their fear of death. That's you and me being upgraded. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. See, we are Abraham's spiritual descendants, so this is going back full circle to where we started with God's declaration to Abraham. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. That's the downgrade. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. That's the ultimate upgrade. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus upgraded from death to life from earth to heaven, from flesh and blood to immortality, from the grave to the owner of the keys of death. He has all authority and power. This is good news. You know how you can't make updates on your phone or computer unless you have administrator privileges? Jesus is the ultimate administrator for all humanity. And because of his upgrade and his authority, The good news is that no matter how long it's been since our last spiritual upgrade, no matter how dysfunctional or obsolete we are, Jesus is anxiously waiting for us to acknowledge our need of that upgrade and submit to him so that he can place his Holy Spirit in us and transform us day after day into his likeness. God is saying to us today and every day, let me upgrade you. May we surrender daily to him.